You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. If you will, take your Bibles, turn to John 17. John 17, I think one of the fascinating parts of our worship is going to be, especially in light of eternity, will be the overlap of things we sang here, celebrated here, and then we're, we're processing those, we're there, and we're not just singing about the things we're like singing while we're looking at them, and then nudging each other, and just, I mean, it just, the worship we've just done today, I think, um, is sweetened by what we know is to come. And I think someday what we just did, did will be sweeter when we're there as we remember and see each other and lock eyes and others we've worshipped at different seasons of life. They're now with the Lord. It's just, it's all going to come together. And I hope that our praise and worship today has reminded you of that. Great job today singing. If you will, John 17 today, we're going to look at this chapter together and kind of an overview of it. But let's just read a couple of verses to set the table this morning. And before we do that, a couple things of note. Number one, if you did not get a wristband last week and you wanted one, that's a prayer reminder. I see several of you wearing them today. I've seen you during the week doing the same thing. Uh, at the doors as you leave, the guys with the offering plates will also have extra bracelets. I appreciate. I apologize we didn't have enough of those last week. We had a great attendance last Sunday for our first responders day. If you'd like one of those, and then the bulletin that we gave you last week had in it some things to pray over those folks. And I had several of those first responders thank us for being so specific in that and praying for them. I don't know about you. I feel a lot of times I don't know what to say or do. I don't walk where they walk and deal with everything they deal with, but I can pray for them. And so I hope that you'll join with me in that effort. Uh, and then secondly, as I mentioned a few weeks ago today, uh, out in the lobby are some sign-up lists for our Amen Project. Many of you are giving to that. Appreciate so much your partnership in that. You'll see kind of an update on where we're at in our giving on that project in the back of the bulletin. But there's a sign-up list out in the central lobby for, uh, we kind of broke it down into a wallpaper. We got to take off all the wallpaper on the lower part of the walls here, as well as one of our lobbies. Um, and then the ceiling demo, um, and then um, the carpet, which will be a little bit later on. Uh, and then if you're willing to help maybe bring some food for some of the work days, or help in kind of a support role, uh, there's kind of four sections to sign up, so we invite you to do that as well. And we're hoping by the end of this month to begin some of those work days, either this, the weekend before Thanksgiving or possibly the weekend after the week of Thanksgiving will be a couple of those work days. And then some of you may not be able to get here on a Saturday or because we have church the next morning, there may be some stuff we do during the week as well, but to, we'll reach out to you on the specific time frames. But if at least you're willing to help where you can, I invite you to sign up. So, saw many of you already do that already this morning and appreciate that so much. And then the last thing, if you look at the back of your bulletin real quick, we're launching just a little initiative this fall called I Love My Church Online. And uh, you'll see a few graphics as it relates to that there on the slide. And we'd ask you, um, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but a lot of us are on Facebook. And uh, yet it's shocking to me or surprising to me, and maybe you just haven't thought of it, to go and like and review our, our, our church on Facebook it really helps us gain traction and uh, others to be exposed to our church and what we're trying to convey, not about us, but about our Savior and the gospel. So if you go to our Facebook page, I think you have to check in, and then you can, you'll say, I'm at North Life, and then you can post a review of our church. Please be nice, if at all possible. 
Um, it's not a review of the pastor, okay? Try to look past me and just focus on God there, if you will. Um, and so I invite you to do that, and then like the page that allows you to get notice of things that we post. Secondly, on YouTube, we get a lot of traffic through our YouTube channel. Just by way of testimony today, we had the Clark family with us just a few months ago for our anniversary weekend. That video, uh, Pastor David did a great job of, of doing the editing of that video, has tens of thousands of views. And Brother Clark actually texted me just this past week and wanted to thank our media team, which is basically Pastor Dave and his minions, uh, for doing that because a lot of folks are reaching out to them. It's surprising to me that the Clarks don't have more you know, folks that have maybe done that for their concerts, but uh, they presented the gospel clearly. Um, and so by you just um, following us or subscribing to our YouTube channel, anytime something new is posted, you'll get that. So if you haven't done those two things, can I strongly encourage you to do that today before uh, you go to sleep earlier, maybe a little bit tonight than normal. Um, and then also uh, on Google, uh, you can review us. It'd be nice to get some fresh reviews. A lot of you are newer to our church. Again, as long as it's a nice one, we would ask for your help on that. And if you want to say something snarky about me, I'm okay with that, as long as you say some nice things about the church. And then we also have a podcast. Many of you use podcasts during the week, and we, you actually can subscribe to that. You just look for North Life Baptist, and every one of our sermons gets posted. Uh, our services are there, uh, and so I invite you to do that. And so we're asking you these next couple of weeks to help us with that. And I think we could see a lot of our, our online presence double if just everybody in this room would help us out with that. So make that your task list and maybe just check them off. If you're not on some of those platforms, that's fine. Uh, but I would guess most of us at least are using a couple of those, and that would be a great help to us in the months ahead. All right, if you will, John 17 today. Let's look, if you will, at verse 15, verse 20, and verse 24. Verse 15, Christ says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. Go down to verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. And I wrote beside verse 20, I put me with an exclamation mark. He's praying for me there. Then if you would, verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And so we're looking at John drawing even closer to Jesus through the life and lips and the inspiration of God through the Apostle John. I want to look at today Christ as the intercessor. Christ as the intercessor. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for what you're doing in the homes and marriages and lives and that are represented in this room as well as our church. Thank you for all of the, just your favor that's so um, unmistakable in our ranks. We give you alone glory for that. Thank you for how you're growing and strengthening not just us as a, as a body, but that, Lord, the message and the mission you've given to us and just how, Lord, you're using us to reach others around this county and around the world. Thank you for our missionaries that we're able to partner with. Bless them today in their respective ministries and fields. And Father, I pray now as we come to this, se to this section of our service, as we listen to your word and, and place ourselves under its authority and its application, that, Father, you would challenge us to consider the, the implications of knowing that our Savior prays for us. That, Lord, He goes to you as our Father, that He is our mediator, He is our intercessor, He is our advocate. And, Lord, may that transform our own prayer life and may it transform our walk with you. And I pray, Father, for those who do not know you as Savior, you would draw them to yourself today. 
those watching online, those in this room, that you would work in a, in a mighty way. Be with our kids' programs as well. Accomplish your will, we pray in this place. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I love prayer in a lot of different settings. I love to be with God's people and to pray and um, just enjoy that part of our groups, for example, and other settings. Even just our staff meetings we have on Tuesdays, just praying with the men that I have the privilege of serving the Lord with here. But one of the things I love most about prayer is hearing children pray. Isn't that just a treasure? Um, also, it can be a bit humorous at times, as sometimes they're ignorantly praying to God and they say something that you're kind of, oh, I don't know if I'd say that to God. Or um, Sometimes they're doing it, though, in a conniving way. They're trying to pray to God, but they want you to hear. <laughs> or you know, their sibling to hear something that they passive-aggressively ask God to do that the brother or sister does not want uh, to happen. The other day I read of a little boy, elementary boy, who had heard a sermon on the persistence of prayer, just keep praying. And so one night shortly after that, he was praying to himself in his room, and his dad happened to pass by as this boy was talking to God, and he kept hearing him say over and over the same word, Tokyo, Tokyo, Tokyo. Dad walked by once, heard it, walked by again, heard the same, the same word being said over and over, just crying out to God, Tokyo, Tokyo, Tokyo. So the next morning, he asked his son, the dad, did he say, what, what are you doing? What were you praying? I happened over here, you talking to God. And the boy replied that he had given the wrong answer on a test for the capital of Mexico. <laughs> so he was hoping if he just said it enough times that the new capital of Mexico would be Tokyo. <laughs> um, can I just say to you today, as it relates to our prayer life, that often we feel almost as um, that our efforts in prayer are just as futile as that of this elementary boy, hoping and wishing and longing for God to change the capital of Mexico. We also, in our prayers, often are trying to and feel like we're doing the same in our prayers. And may I just say to you this morning that really what John 17 does is it gives us another, we, we would refer to the Lord's Prayer when I say that, you think of the text in Matthew 6 or the parallel passages in the Gospels. But we have here another of the Lord's prayers. In fact, I would submit to you in some ways it's more illuminating, it's more uh, practical in many of its implications than even the Lord's prayer that we are more familiar with. And what's awesome about this is we really get to eavesdrop. Think about this. John 17 is you and me getting to eavesdrop in a conversation going on between God the Son and God the Father. That's unbelievable. That we, He allows us, if you will, to be the fly on the wall or to be the, the one let into this situation and to know what is said between the Son and the Father as it relates to us. And so may I say to you today, as we just kind of set the table, our lack of intimacy with Jesus, being close to Him, a lot of it is because we underappreciate or we are ignorant of the fact that he is our intercessory high priest, that he's constantly going to bat for us. He's constantly representing us uh, before uh, the Heavenly Father. And so this idea of Jesus being our intercessor. Now, what does intercession mean? Let's just define that briefly today. You may want to jot this down. Intercession is prayer before God on behalf of another prayer before God on behalf of another. And I think one of the areas we struggle in our prayer life is we pray about our stuff and our kids and our house and me this and my that. And I think intercession is an underdeveloped discipline in our own prayer life. But think of the fact that Jesus 
goes to the Father on behalf of us. Um, And Christians are known for emphasizing um, prayer in seasons of difficulty. Uh, We have the elections coming up again here in a couple of days, and I hope you're to this point as I am. I don't have a lot of hope in Tuesday. I have some fears related to Tuesday. But ultimately, my hope has to be in God, right? Who is sovereign, who is ruling, and has assigned to me my little civic responsibility that is nothing in light of his overall purpose and plan for not just our nation and our state, but for uh, all of human history. And so we tend to focus on that. Or in the good times, we'll even say to each other, not just in challenging or sobering times, we'll say, hey, how's your prayer life? And we're trying to encourage one another in our prayer life. And I'm not discounting that in any way. But as worthy as that priority and that focus is, where we need to spend the lion's share of our focus as it relates to prayer is is living in light of the reality that Jesus is always praying for me. That ought to draw me closer to him than almost anything else we've studied in our series here in the Gospel of John. So the question today is this, in a day where people are trying to be their own advocates before people, and even before God, how do we instead rest in and rely upon the prayerful advocacy of Jesus on our, ha- our behalf? How do we do that in a practical sense? Let's talk about three commitments that Jesus makes here in John 17 to be our intercessor that we must yield to and trust in. Number one, let's spend a few moments, first of all, talking about him as the intercessor who prays for his own ministry. Intercessor who prays for his own ministry. And in verses 1 to 5, Jesus bays what he has done for us in prayer. He asks the Father to bless what he has done and what he will do on our behalf. If you were to ask me today, Pastor, what is one of the greatest issues of the postmodern believer? And I would put myself into that same category. What is our issue? What's one of our glaring issues between us and God? I think it is allowing our own flesh as well as the world of people around us, the culture around us, or even the devil himself to convince us, listen to this, that what Jesus has done for us is outdated, irrelevant, or impotent to make a difference in our lives today. And here's what I love about Jesus. Not only did he die for us 2,000 years ago, he prayed that this morning that would burn in our hearts, that would draw men to himself. He's daily praying that the efficacy of his ministry would persevere until today. And when we wake up tomorrow, the same thing will be true. And so he is praying that his ministry will have an impact on our own personal relationship with God. All right, so let's talk about a few things as it relates to this prayer that he asked God to do as it relates to his own ministry. Go back to verse number one, if you will. And again, we don't have a lot of time to unpack this chapter. We're just going to kind of bounce off one verse to the next and give you a quick pithy thought as it relates to each. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hours come, glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. Number one, we need to draw even closer to Jesus' completed glory. Jesus completes ministry, and he wants to complete his ministry in us through uh, his glory. Any of you figured out that a lot of your um, uh, who you are relates to, to the, the dark beverage you drink in the morning? And by that, I'm talking about coffee, just for, to be clear. Um, someone said this, turns out that 93% of my personality is just coffee, okay? 
Um, and I don't know if this morning, it was a little weird this morning, right? I don't know whether I needed more or less coffee. I know tonight I'm going to need a little more coffee when it's dark at four something or whatever it will be. Um, but, but the idea of, of this glorious presence and power that comes through Jesus Christ. And here in verse 1, Jesus said, now is my hour come. What is that hour? It's, it's his sacrifice. It's his death upon the cross. It is now come, and, and God is going to answer this request by not only allowing him to die, but resurrected and giving to him glory, crowning him with glory and with honor. Go down to verse 4. He says, I have, we'll come back to 2 and 3 in a moment. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Isn't that interesting that Christ here, who is yet to enter the Passion Week, is already talking as if and referencing the, the sacrifice, the death, the burial, and the rest, as if it's already happened. Isn't that interesting? Um, it, from his vantage point, as he's praying to the Father, it's as good as done. May I say to you today, there is a confidence before it even is over that only comes through the incarnate intercession of Jesus Christ. There are things we have yet to see Jesus do that he's promised to do, just like he's looking ahead here in verse 4, that as we consider he's interceding and he's praying for us, it's as if it already is realized. In fact, in Ephesians, it talks about we're already seated with him in heavenly places. It's unbelievable, the certainty uh, that comes our way when we are confident in this Jesus who completes his glory. Go down to verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Obviously, the glory of God was veiled in the person of Jesus during his incarnate ministry. And here he says, glorify me together with you. Restore, if you will, the glory I shared with you prior to my incarnation, teaching the preexistence of Jesus Christ. And basically what he's talking about here is this loop of glory. Jesus came from glory. He's now back in glory as of this morning still, and someday we will share in his glory. Um, I don't know if you've ever been. I remember, for example, thinking of the election several years ago. I think it was President Bush was running for re-election, uh, W, George W., and there was a big rally just north of Detroit, and we drove a bunch of our church folks down for this rally. And um, he flew in on a helicopter, like, over the crowd. He landed, and we're, like, you know, with binoculars trying to see him. We're so far away from the stage where he was. But music ramps up. Helicopter comes down. He lands. Someone makes a big speech, and then he shows up. Um, do you, can you imagine that moment when we see him? When we see him and he's got the glory of God just, just, just oozing out of him, it's all around him, that we have access to that. that. We get to see that. We get to process that. We get to share that together. Can I tell you that someday that realization experience is only ours because Jesus is our mediator. We don't ever get there. We don't get to stay there. We don't get to bring anybody with us without the work of Jesus Christ. And so he completes his glory. He shares it with us that ought to draw us closer to him. All right, go back to verse 2. And notice the second aspect of this prayer for his earthly ministry and what it should produce in us. Verse 2, as thou, excuse me, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should, notice this, give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Number two, draw even closer to Jesus' completed life. 
So he offers to us glory, or light, uh, glory number two, he offers to us life, this eternal life that is ours only through his work. And so here we see that Jesus possesses all power, the power to grant to us eternal life. The beneficiaries here are described as those whom the Father has given to the Son. This is a reference to the disciples that are over and over prayed over. Jesus prayed over the disciples in verse 2, as we just read, in verse 6, in verse 9, in verse 11, in verse 12, and in verse 24. He keeps talking about those you've given to me, those who are my disciples. He wanted us to enter into eternal life. Verse 3, what is this life he references? And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. If I were to ask you today, define for me what is eternal life? Eternal life, underlined, little hyphen, now you write in the definition. How would you define eternal life? There are a lot of things that come to my mind when I think of eternal life. Um, Never dying, no sorrow, being with God, the list goes on. But notice he defines eternal life. Did you notice that? This is life eternal, that they might what? Know thee. In God's mind, eternal life is really just knowing Him. It's being known of Him. It's knowing Him. Not just knowing of Him, but experientially, intimately having access to God and knowledge of God. That's the purpose of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And without Jesus, we don't, not only do we not have eternal life, we don't get to know God the way we are privileged to know God, both in this life and in eternity. Heidi and I went away uh, to spend a night in Maslin uh, this weekend, and uh, one of the things we did, there was in, um, right in Maslin, a museum to uh, uh, all kinds of things, as it were, all things Maslin. We had not really ever been much in the downtown Maslin area. Heidi went to school there for a bit, but this is a fedora, a hat worn by Paul Brown. Uh, Paul Brown would be of Maslin fame. He would have, they built the stadium there that now is in his name. Uh, he went on to start the Cleveland Browns, coached them, uh, and then through circumstances we're all familiar with as Cleveland fans, he was ousted from that, and then he started the Cincinnati Bengals. He is known for Ohio football. He coached, I think, at OSU. They won a national championship with him as well. But this is one of the hats he wore back in the 70s that they have now in a case. There was a museum, and there was like kind of a wing you could go into, and it was all things Paul Brown, um, things about the high school, things about his pro career. And this is one of the hats that remains that he would have worn. That's kind of the iconic uh, image you have in your mind when you think of him, of that era. But what's interesting, I, we, <laughs> excuse me, we don't have time to go there, but at his graveside, which is there in Maslin, he's buried in a cemetery there on, I think, kind of the northeast side of, of Maslin. When you go to his, it's just a real understated uh, head marker, he, he and his wife, but there's on a rod there with kind of a screw on top of it, a hat that they just keep replacing. Um, that's there, just a reminder of Paul Brown. Now, can I say to you this morning, there are a lot of Paul Browns, if you will, people who have had a lot of influence and impact on a lot of different things. But I'm telling you, every one of them, to a man and to a woman, at some point, they died. And their influence, though it may linger in some fading effects, Jesus, unlike all of those that we would consider and and revere in our day, he 
lives. And because he lives, we can live also. And so he talks about this life that is offered to us only through what he has done for us. May I say to you today, the ministry of Jesus is not ours by default. We don't have access to everything Jesus did just because we deserve it or we're entitled to it. It is only personally accessible to us through the mediatory work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. That's happening this morning. Where are you? Where am I underappreciating not only his earthly ministry, but the prayerful application of it in our hearts and in our lives? For us to have what he offers and what he did for us, we've got to be close to him. We've got to be aligned with him, he who prays for us, he who applies it uh, to our lives. One person said this, the glory of God is man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. And we cannot be in that setting and experience all that that means without being in the presence of Jesus Christ. He gives us life. He gives us God's glory. All right, go down to verse 6, if you will. And notice the second component, if you will, Jesus committing to be our intercessor and what that should mean for us in our relationship with him. He goes on, he says, I have manifested thy name unto the men. Notice that I have manifested thy name unto the men whom thou, which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. All right, number two. He prays not only for um, his ministry, he prays for his disciples. He prays for his disciples. So now in verse 6, you notice he begins to talk about these men. First, it's between Jesus and God. Now it's between Jesus and those that he is leading. I remember hearing a quote from Charlie Chaplin, um, who was known for his silent movies back in the day. He said this, "...judge a man not by how he treats his equals." but by how he treats his inferiors. Can I remind you, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. All of the cosmos is at his beck and call. And instead of commanding his disciples in this text, he is praying for his disciples, those who are his inferior, those who are his subordinates. He is going to the Father and praying for them. He is praying for us. Notice two aspects of this quickly. Number one, draw even closer to Jesus' influential, here it is, revelation. He's revealing things to us, and he's asking God to make sure that those things are understood and applied by these men who are following him. Draw closer to Jesus' influential revelation. And this work that the Father gave to Jesus is described in this chapter as being five things. First of all, it's a work in verse 4 that we read a moment ago. It is believers, verses 2, 6, 9, and 24. It is the glory, verse 5, as we read, as well as verse 24. It's words in verse 8, and it's a name in verses 11 and 12. God gives to Jesus these things. And then what does Jesus do? He gives to us the revelation of God. He gives to us God's words. And in verse 6, Jesus here is described as manifesting the Father's name to the disciples. Um, Names nowadays tend to be a bit just trivial, right? Well, it rhymes with something else. Um, My middle name is Russell. That's my grandfather, my grandpa Snowd's first name. He never went by that name. He went by Edgar, which was his middle name. But that name Russell means something to me. Um, And I typically sign my name with an R in the middle. Just It's a reminder of my grandfather, his influence in my life. Names don't always matter as much as they should, but can I tell you the name of God, the name of God as revealed through the person and work of Jesus Christ, 
takes on a powerful effect. It's who he is. It's his character. It's his nature. It's his attributes. Jesus alone is the one who reveals this Father to us. And I love this at the end of verse 6. He says, they have kept thy word. Isn't that interesting? These men who failed the Lord and he knew shortly would fail him again. The overall description of their relationship with Jesus is they kept his word. He doesn't mention their failures and shortcomings. He describes them. He credits them with believing and obeying his teaching. Even this morning when we fail to fully live up to all that Jesus has revealed to us, we are through the perfect life of Jesus seen before the Father as trusting and obeying all of it. That's amazing. All through the ministry and the intercession of Jesus Christ. All right, verse 7. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. And so the disciples have heard the faithful message from the Father to the Son. Now has been delivered to them. And so without this go-between Jesus, we would never know the Father. We would never know his words. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, you could jot down the reference, look at it on your own time. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. Who is it? The man, Christ Jesus. He alone is the reason we have access to God. He is the go-between. Verse 9, and I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but I pray for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And so he, he talks about this prayer that he gives distinctively and uniquely for his followers. I don't think he's saying in verse 10 that, that he's never prayed for the world. In fact, on the cross, what does he say to God the Father? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's not describing what he did during his earthly ministry. He's talking about his intercession. Jesus can only represent before the Father those who are his, right? If you thought about that today, that not only did the world wake up without knowing what we know from God, but they woke up today without the Son of God interceding for them the way we who know God and Jesus as Savior. He's, he's our go-between. There's a unique privilege that is, is, is owned by us who are in Christ. And so this beautiful access uniquely that we have to God through Jesus Christ. All right, lastly in this section, look at verse 10. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now, we can say to God, all mine, all that's mine is yours, but there's no person in this room who can say, all that is yours, God, is, is mine, that I can possess it. Only Jesus, the Son of God, could say that. God, what's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine, showing the equality, the equal standing the Son has before the Father. So notice here, he talks about that because of that, that in us he is glorified and that the Father is glorified in us. Not only does Jesus reveal to us a clear view of the Father, but also a clear view of how the Father views us. All because of the Son. When God looks at us, when the Father looks at us, he sees Jesus Christ. What an influential revelation we have through him alone. All right, number two, go to verse 11. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Here again, he comes back to the prayer. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Number two, draw even closer to Jesus' influential sanctification. He sanctifies us. 
Um, I don't know if anybody in the room dressed up this last week with Halloween or some fall party, but this to me is the best costume that I've seen recently, all right? This, this captures, this is it, okay? Isn't that awesome? The little dogs and all, uh, the late queen, um, just classic, little pearls, the whole deal. Um, I think it's a girl. I hope it's a girl because if that's a boy, I feel bad for him. But anyway, uh, just, you know, in costume and kind of the pearls and all, just elevating, you know, versus all these hideous, grotesque things that a lot of kids were wearing. To me, that, that's a proper costume there, okay? Elevating and, and, and taking it to a different level. This sanctification, this effect that uh, Jesus Christ does through us. He wants to raise us. He wants to elevate our walk with Him and our relationship with God through His prayerful ministry. Here's just a thought today. Where, does, where are you settling? Listen to me. Where are you settling for a lesser, lower walk with God than Jesus is praying and trying to get us to? You and me both. We are settling for far less than the commitment and the change and the conformity to the image and purpose and praise of our God when we have Jesus trying to pray and to sanctify us in ways we are not this morning. And brethren, to draw closer to Jesus is to allow him to elevate the standard of what is acceptable and what is the agenda of our lives and walk before the Lord. So he talks about that here in verse 11 and following. Look at verse 11 again. He talks about here that though I will be no more in the world, they will be. And he says, keep them through thy name, your holy name. Keep them, protect them, preserve them, sanctify them is the idea there in verse 11. Uh, Verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. Uh, Verse 12. He, he, he's going to go on in just a moment to talk more about the implications of that. But obviously here in verse 12, he's talking about who is the son of perdition. Who is that? Judas, who is shortly to betray um, the Lord. And so we see this all being referenced and owned by the Lord. Um, this knowledge, this understanding, all of it submitted to the purpose of God. You see both human um, free will there, but you also see the purpose of God being done despite the choice of Judas fulfilling prophecy given back in Psalm 41. And may I just say this before we move on, without Christ's prayerful influence in our lives, any of us would do or would have done what Judas did. Without him interceding and representing us and helping us, all of us at some point would betray, our Savior would betray our God. And so it is his intercessory work that preserves us and keeps us from these failures that we see Judas committing. Verse 13, and now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Verse 14, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they were not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Jesus knew that him leaving would leave a void in his disciples' hearts and lives, and so he prays for joy to fill their hearts and fill their walk and fill their ministry Here we see him praying for that joy to remain. Um, One of the things I'm concerned about, I don't know that I I sense it in our church by God's grace, but there is a profile of Christianity in our day that is godless and Christless and spiritless, that's caustic and bitter and judgy and divisive. 
that is out of step with what we see here in this prayer. Jesus is praying for unity. He's praying for us to be drawn together and to have a certain profile of our walk before the Lord. And where we have this bitter and caustic profile of quote-unquote Christianity reveals where we have forgotten that we have an advocate before the Father voicing any mistreatment that we ourselves suffer. He's got our back. Uh, We're in Revelation right now. Aren't we in our reading? A lot of us are tracking. You one of the biggest takeaways that soothed my heart with all the trumpet judgments and vile judgments and all the things that just you know, can't fully understand and process is the fact that God's keeping track of everything. And he's going to defend those who are martyred. He's going to take care of those who are victimized. He's got all that. He's going to preserve. He's going to protect. He's going to provide for his people. Our responsibility is to rest in the advocacy and the representation of our needs and our hurts before God himself. He will deal with those who mistreat us. And that's the language here in verse 13 to 14. Hey, be joyful, be content, rest in me. I've got all of that. You just stay close to me. I'll take care of all of these things that come your way. Uh, Verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest, this is a key verse, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. And so here in verse 15, Jesus reveals that God's plan was not to remove the disciples from danger and opposition, but to preserve them in the midst of that opposition and conflict. Um, We could go into all kinds of examples, but just two come to mind. Number one, think of Daniel. God didn't take him out of the world. In fact, God allowed him to be further embedded in the world and from that position to impact human history and the oversight of his people. Uh, Think of the saints in Caesar's household. Paul, who's there, and others who are beginning to be saved, they're close to power when it was most corrupt and tainted. And in the world, God, through Jesus and his ministry through us, is impacting this world and, and pushing back against all of the forces of even the devil himself. And so God's plan, despite the efforts of Satan himself to prevail and to persecute God's people, ultimately God leaves us here to prove that through Jesus and his intercessory work, he's going to preserve us and together we're going to conquer. We're going to win in the things that he's doing in and through us. And so the the answer is not to isolate. The answer is not to pull away. The answer is to remain in the world because of Jesus who is interceding for us. I'll say it here just because I think it applies to my own life. But sometimes if we're not careful in how we're parenting, how we're doing ministry, we just keep pulling away. And by pulling away and trying to live in a bubble, we're exposing that we don't believe Jesus Christ. We're not resting and relying in what he's doing for us. We're trying to protect ourselves. We're trying to preserve ourselves. And God, through Jesus, he alone is the one who is the protector and the provider in this hostile world. And so Christians must not take themselves out of the world, but remain in a meaningful contact with it, trusting in God's protection, while we as his people witness for Jesus. Our job is to be salt and light, right? Looking out for our six, trying to protect ourselves, that's somebody else's responsibility ultimately. It's not our financial planning. It's not our wellness strategy. It's not all these other things that often we look to. It is Jesus alone that's going to preserve us and see us through. We stay in this world doing and being what he's called us to do and to be. And so that's our responsibility through this influential sanctification. All right, verse 16. They, 
These that he will protect are not of the world, even as Jesus says, I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them. This is a key verse as well. Through thy truth, thy word is truth. So these disciples will no longer belong to the world. They belong to Christ. They are set apart for God and his purposes. Where do we find his purposes? In this book. That's what sanctifies us. That's what keeps us in when we want to get angry and we want to get distracted from the mission and message of God, we come back to this book. We come back to this book. We come back to this book. And so he sanctifies us through his word. Verse 18, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them in the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be, might be sanctified through the truth. And so this truth of God that sanctifies us is also this truth that sends us into the world. Um, I'm struck by verse um, number uh, 17 there where he says, or verse 18, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so also have I sent them into the world. What's more important or more significant than being sent into the world by God himself? Jesus is praying for us as we do that, as we have that conversation, as we witness for him, as we stand for truth. He is our advocate in those moments. In our day, I see a desire in our ranks, myself included, to often want out or to blend in the present world. I just want out of here. Man, I can't wait till Jesus comes back. And often the motivation for that is less than, I think, a holy motivation. I just want to be out. This world scares me. This world worries me. This world confronts me and challenges me and persecutes me. And the list goes on. If I'm in a fleshly mindset, I just want out. Or number two, I just want to blend in. I'm just going to chill. I'm going to stop standing and being faithful. It's just not worth it. That, that's a proneness that all of us have in our day. And yet that desire to want out of this world or to blend into this world could not be more out of step with the living Savior's mission for his people right now. Or to stand up or to stand out. And the drive of that and the sustaining power behind that is the intercessory prayer of Jesus. That's what he's... Listen, Jesus is not praying, God, help your people get out of this world. Help your people blend in with this world. Has that ever been... Has that ever issued from the lips of our Savior? He's praying for us to be salt and light. Give them courage. Give them a spine. Give them conviction to stand up and to stand out wherever God is working in our lives. We must be faithful in that through the ministry and the blessing that Jesus Christ is to us. And so may we be called to and motivated to be highly influential and impactful with the help of our Savior. Um, You remember we talked about the uh, book Gentle and Lowly. A lot of us tracked in that this past year in our, our group's There's a little excerpt from it that I think encourages me when I feel like I'm failing and falling short of all that God intends for me in this area of sanctification. Listen to this analogy. Dane Ortland in this book, Gentle and Lowly, says this, Christ continues to intercede on our behalf in heaven because we continue to fail here on earth. That's a summary, isn't it, of our our symbiotic relationship. He continues to intercede in heaven because we continue to fail here on earth. He said this, he does not forgive us through his work on the cross and then hope we make it the rest of the way on our own. Picture a glider pulled up into the sky by an airplane soon to be released to float down to earth. We, if you will, are that glider, Christ, the plane. 
But he never disengages. He never lets go, wishing us well, hoping we can glide the rest of the way to heaven. He carries us all the way. One way to think of Christ's intercession then is simply this. Jesus is praying for you right now. I like that. He said this in conclusion. It is a consoling thought that Christ is praying for us even when we are negligent in our own prayer life. Our prayer life stinks most of the time. But what if you could hear Jesus praying aloud for you in the next room? Few things would calm us more deeply. Jesus praying for us in the next room. I believe this morning he's praying. God, would you help them take that next step? Would you nudge them? Would you help them to respond to that? Wherever you're convicting and challenging and encouraging, whoever needs Christ today as Savior, he's praying for us that God's work would be done in and through us. And so may I just say today, though our spiritual forefathers, including the apostles, even John, have provided some of the foundation for us to stand upon in our faith, that is nothing without the intercessory work of Jesus, who is our head. Where are you today underappreciating what you know and how much influence you have that is directly dependent upon Christ, who is still praying for our generation of disciples? Which leads us to our last point this morning. Go to verse 20. And I love this. This is probably my favorite verse in this prayer because it makes it personal for us. If we're not careful, well, this was prayed 2,000 years ago, and what's the point today, Pastor? Well, here it is, verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone. Who's that? The apostles, the early disciples. But for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Number three, the intercessor, Jesus prays for his church. So he prays for his ministry. He prays for his early disciples. And now lastly, he prays for uh, his church. Um, Today was time change. If some of you were wondering why you got here so early and no one was here, um, whatever cleanup duty they put you on while you were waiting, today was the the good time change, I guess, other than later today when it gets a little dark. Um, But I always tell people the hardest part about time change is the Sunday night service on this Sunday. This morning's great. Everybody's awake and alert. But then, again, it's, it's dark so early. Um, the other day, somebody tongue-in-cheek said this, if being in pajamas by 7 p.m., which we're kind of getting into that mode now, right, starting tonight, if being in pajamas by 7 p.m. is wrong, then I don't want to be right. <laughs> uh, any of you catch yourself doing that? Like, it, it's dark out, and yeah, might as well. You know, no one's going to swing by, I'm sure, and, and, and so the PJs get out by 7 p.m. Um, can I say to you, if we're not careful, as, as the dimness comes of the end of this age, the commitment to and the passion for the local church wanes, right? I, I can see you wrestling with that. I see it in your families and your lives, and it, it's true of me as well, that the local church, if we're not careful, becomes kind of a, a distraction or a secondary priority where it needs to be the orb, the center of everything we do and are, not just in this setting, but everything we're called to be outside of this. Um, and so Jesus here shows us in his prayer the priority of the church, Um, In fact, we pray about, when we're real with God, we pray about what really matters to us, right? And so in this prayer, we see the priority of Jesus, the fact that he prioritizes the message and the ministry of the local church. All right, let's talk about a couple things in the few moments we have left. Number one, draw even closer to Jesus' visionary unity. In verses 20 through 23, he prays for them. 
In verse 20, he talks about he's praying for us. Obviously, he's praying for generations of believers yet to be born who hear the word from other disciples before them who are fulfilling their responsibility to be salt and light. And because of that, we hear the gospel. Uh, In fact, I think verse 20 is Jesus basically 1,900 years prior to your existence, he prayed for you. He prayed for me. Uh, And notice what he prays for us. He prays. Um, in verse number 21, that they all may be one. So number one, we draw closer to Jesus' visionary unity. He's praying for today the unity of the church. This God-like unity that the Father and the Son have, He wants, that He and the Father have, He wants us to have between us and between us and the Father. That is His prayer this morning. And notice in verse 22, quickly, that the reason he prays for that is that, notice this in verse 22, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 21, that as I, you are in me and I am in you, that they also may be one in us. Here's the purpose, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So our unity leads to the world seeing and sensing God and coming to God in personal relationship. That is the prayer of Jesus Christ. This unity that's not just mechanical and robotical, but it's relational. And because of that, God draws others into relationship with him. Visionary unity. Division is the result of living out of step with our intercessory high priest. Unity is the gift and the stewardship we're given as answered prayer. All right, let's end in verse 24 through 26. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me. Be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given to me. Lastly, number two, draw even closer to Jesus' visionary reunion. Jesus' visionary reunion. I think maybe I've shared this once before. When I think of reunion, I think of a family reunion that we had growing up. Uh, It would be my grandmother's, my mom's mom's side of the family. And her maiden name, brace yourselves, was the name Roach. Okay, a lovely, pleasant name, Roach. And so we had the Roach reunion every summer. Usually it was late summer, hot as all get out. It was a little park beyond Minerva here in Ohio. And I just, I think of several fun here, Pastor Dave, today, again. Um, But a couple things when I think of that reunion, number one would be lots of hugs with people. I don't even know your name, but we're family, okay? We're all stuck with this Roach. Thing and so we would. There were no bugs, okay, that I know of there, at least of that persuasion. Um, hugs, and then we would play tons of volleyball. I mean, till the sun went down. Uh, volleyball, volleyball was a huge thing in our family. And then the third kind of random thing is we would eat deviled eggs, yeah. just tons of them. So hugging, playing volleyball, and eating ourselves into a coma produced by deviled eggs as the sun set. That's what I think of when I think of reunion, the Roach reunion. Yeah. And uh, just enjoyed uh, that. And it brings back a lot of memories. Can I just tell you, if we had the Roach reunion today, there'd be very few of us still here on this planet who could meet. I miss that. Uh, Folks that I could hug and meet and reconnect with that, at least in this present life, I will not again. Can I just tell you today that we will never have reunion with God who made us and has saved us. We'll never have reunion with others that we know without the intercessory work of Jesus Christ. We'll never see someone again that we can't see now. We'll never connect with them and catch up someday in glory without what Jesus has done and who he is on a regular basis. Only through him do we have that hope 
this morning. So there's no reunion, there's no union for the local church and everybody in it without Jesus' ongoing work of intercession. We would be hopelessly estranged from everyone around us without his presence. All right, let's end today to Hebrews. Would you go there for a moment, chapter 7? Hebrews chapter 7, appreciate your kind attention today. And let's look, if you will, at verse 25, one of my favorite verses as it relates to the intercessory work of Jesus Christ, he who prays for us to God on our behalf, he is our intercessory high priest. Hebrews chapter 7, and if you would please, verse 25. This is a description of Jesus Christ, and it says this, Wherefore he, Hebrews 7 verse 25, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. And then notice this last, this description of Jesus, the last part of this verse, seeing he ever liveth to make what? Intercession for them. Intercession for them. Should we pray and intercede for each other more? Should we pray more? Yes, we should. But can I tell you, ultimately, it does not rest upon our intercession. It's not a burden or a sense of inadequacy. I know when I hear prayer, first thing I tend to feel is guilty. Don't you? If I said, let's have an altar call, if we still practically believe that, a lot of you are glad we have an altar call, but you never come. Funny how that works, but just loving on you today. But if we would honestly come, how many of us could really stay in our seat because our prayer life is robustly everything that it should be? When I think of prayer, it, it often has a negative stigma to it. I feel, I feel, I just can't get that right. I can't keep that right. Aren't you thankful that ultimately prayer and intercession are fine not by our inadequacies, but the consistent Jesus who ever liveth to make intercession for us. That frees us. That liberates us to experience this intimate relationship with God, despite often our inadequacies as it relates to prayer. And so he ever lives to make intercession for us. All right, this last thought and we'll pray. Someone wrote this as it relates to John 17. They said, the high priestly prayer is a hope-laden, faith-fueling prayer. Here we have the king of the universe interceding for his people. And then listen to this. I love this. We are not merely a part of God's plan for reconciling the world to himself. We are central to it. That's the glory of the church. If Jesus takes the time to pray for you and me and this thing called the local church, I think it's probably pretty important. We're not a part of, we are the central orb of everything God is doing right now. And whatever Jesus prays for ought to be important to us. Whatever Jesus prays for ought to be the central source of our peace and our confidence and our direction as we live out our lives before him. See, knowing that Jesus is our intercessor removes any excuse from not having intimate relationship with him as well as with his heavenly father. Here's the question. Will you allow God to give you a healthier relationship with Jesus and specifically his intercession that is for his own ministry, for his disciples, and for his church. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word.